0: Hi there and welcome to Vineyard Church, Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Yeah. Please join me in welcoming up lead pastor Michael Hansen, to the stage. Woohoo! Hey, good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you. If you're visiting, we're really glad you're here. You know what? And I, I want to acknowledge that Today is our first official live stream. We're live, which uh, uh, woo hoo woo hoo. So hello to everyone online. Good morning, mom and dad. Actually, I never thought of that. That's kind of awesome. So uh, (laughs) now I'm totally distracted by that. Okay. Sit up. Stand up straight. Okay, mom. Okay. But uh, no, seriously, we're excited about that. So. so the people are—it's—it's it's live, it's real. So uh, we're really glad you've joined us. For those online uh, this weekend, I'm kicking off our 40 days of prayer and fasting, our Lenten series. And just like uh, Advent, the four weekends leading up to Christmas, Christmas, are a time of preparation for the arrival of Jesus. Uh, ad, ad, or sorry, Lent is is very similar. Lent is uh, a season where we're ramping up towards Easter. Where we will be celebrating uh, preparing to celebrate the victory of Jesus over sin and over death uh, Jesus died on the cross he took on himself the punishment that we deserved so that we could be forgiven so that we could be washed clean uh, and then he rose from the grave uh, he literally took the power of death from the enemy I'll take that. I'll take that thank you very much so that we can now live forever uh, with with him, and part of the Lenten, Lenten preparation is getting in touch with our brokenness. Uh, it's a season of getting in touch with our, our, our waywardness. And like the old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. As we get a clearer picture of how lost we are as people, part of the, uh, the Lenten season, it's, it's also a time to get a clearer picture of how incredibly found we are uh, in Jesus. And so this year, we're going to be doing that by going through through the book of John, the gospel, uh, the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, John is a very unique gospel compared to the other three. One of the reasons it's unique is that uh, John clearly tells us, clearly tells us, hey, this is why I wrote Uh, this gospel, this account of the life of Jesus. And near the end of his book, in John 20, verse 30, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John's purpose clearly in writing his book is that the world, is that the world would see Jesus more clearly. And that in, in seeing him, they would come to, uh, to believe in him. 78 times in the book of John, uh, we see the word world used. So it's very clear who his audience is. 98 times in the book of John, we see the word believe. And so we see who his audience is and really what his, his goal is. Uh, another uniqueness of, of the book of John is the use of the number seven uh, for the Jewish people, number seven uh, represented completeness and wholeness. And I never knew this, but in the first chapter of John, you can fact check me after. But in the first uh, chapter of John, we find seven titles of Jesus. In the book of John, there are seven uh, miracles of Jesus. And in the book of John, there are also recorded seven I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And so for this series, as we move towards Easter, we're going to look at all seven of those I am statements. Uh, You can see here, the title is I am. If you can read that Jesus, Jesus in his own words, Uh, uh, our hope in this series, I guess, just like John, our hope is that as we go through these different statements, that we would see Jesus clearer. So whether you're here today or online today and, and, and you've been walking with Jesus for years and years and years, or whether you're here today or online and this is all new to you, you're not even sure what you think about this, our hope is that in this series that Jesus, you would see him clearer and that you really would be brought to a place of, uh, of belief in him. Uh, A.W. Tozer said this Excuse me what comes comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a great quote. And really what Tozer is getting at is when you think about God if he is small in your mind. Well then chances are good that your worship, your trust, your uh, your obedience, your faith, you know, your your commitment will also be small. But when you think about God if God is big, in your mind, well, then chances are that your worship, your love, your trust, your commitment, your obedience will also be big. So, as we go through this series, again, our prayer is that we would see, uh, we would see Jesus clear. So, let's pray, and then we'll we'll jump into this first "I am" statement. So, Lord, we thank you for, uh, we'll just thank you for another opportunity to gather. Lord, you, the Bible talks about how uh, just living in a broken world, part of the brokenness is we're blinded to you. And only you, Lord, only you can remove that blindness. So I do pray in the room, online, I pray that you would uh, open our eyes afresh today. Lord, let us see Jesus clearer. We welcome you here in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're gonna be, the first I am statement is uh, I am the bread of life, and it's found in John chapter six, so you can turn there if you brought your Bible or your your Bible app. Uh, John chapter six is a really long chapter, 71 verses, and like many times... In the ministry of Jesus, one of the things we'll see in this series is Jesus. Jesus is a master when he tells stories uh, at, at really using using common everyday things like bread or sheep or vines, etc., in order to get his point across. In first century Israel, bread uh, bread would have been a staple. Meaning, if you don't have bread, you don't have food, and and so Jesus. You know, was very creative in, in, in drawing on that uh, very common need, and in this story, like many of the stories in the Book of John, Jesus is bringing the people or trying to bring the people to a place of uh, a place of decision regarding his identity. Like so many times in John, it really comes down to Jesus going, "Okay, so who do you think I am?" Like it really comes to uh, to that place because Jesus knows that, sort of like what I said earlier, who we think he is, has direct uh, impact on our response to him, like like, do you really think he's the Son of God, or do you think he was just a really good person? Like, do you really think he's the savior of the world? Or do you think, well, he was just a really good uh, teacher? C.S. Lewis said this: "A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said Let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And to that quote, I believe John would say a very hearty, amen, (laughs) that's that's what I was saying. Just not as well as old C.S. Lewis. But uh, again, just trying to bring people to a place of decision uh, to an intersection of decision about who Jesus is, and in this story in chapter six, what we see as we get near the end of this story uh, is that many of the people who came to that intersection of decision chose not to believe and chose, in fact, to walk away from Jesus. Towards the end of the story, I'll sort of start at the end. John six verse sixty, it says, "On hearing it, it being." A lot of what we're going to look at today, a lot of what Jesus said, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now understand when it says disciple there, uh, disciples, it's in this case, not referring to the 12 disciples. Jesus had, the 12 were handpicked by him, but Jesus would have had hundreds, if not thousands of disciples, which really means followers or pupils. People just like, who is this guy? And they followed him around. Uh, uh, and, and what we see in this story is that many of those disciples, based on what Jesus said, John, John records that many of his disciples turned back and no longer Followed him. And you know what? I apologize. I got to blow my nose. How's that for being live? But I'm going to mute myself. I'm going to mute so that you don't have to hear this. (laughs) Boy, that doesn't look good. (laughs) Hard to believe that was inside of me. Okay. Oh, okay. I didn't mute. It's just too, my folks are gonna, yeah, my folks are gonna love that. So we raised him better than that, I promise you. <clears throat> but that, that whole thing of all these people following Jesus around, walking away, it, it got me thinking, what, what would God have to say or do or not do <clears throat> that uh, would bring me to a place or bring you to a place of saying, yeah, that's it. I'm turning around. I'm no longer going to follow you. And that's not something I think a lot about. But this story is sort of forces us to think about that. And uh, you know, this might be too simple of an answer, but I, you know, in just living life and and knowing lots of people's stories, I think, uh, wouldn't it be that when his ways don't line up with our ways, wouldn't it be with when his timeline doesn't fit with our timeline? Isn't it? Uh, when our expectations of who God is and how he is supposed to act aren't met. It's just when, like when God doesn't make sense to us, in moments like that, we all stand at this intersection of decision. Am I gonna stay or, or, or am I going to go like the people in the story? So what did Jesus say that caused so many to stop following him? Before we actually get into chapter six, it's important. Uh, Jesus really knew his audience. It's helpful if we know his audience, who he's talking to. These are first-century Jews. They're, they are super versed in the Old Testament stories, especially the story of the Exodus. You know, the being uh, set free as uh, prisoners from from Egypt. Uh, he knew that to the Jewish people, Moses was a hero. They put him on way up on a pedestal. Uh, In fact, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah, for the deliverer to come and rescue them from the Romans. The same way Moses, in their eyes, uh, rescued their ancestors from the Egyptians. And so in this story today, Jesus knowingly, knowingly does things and says things that will stir up comparisons to Moses. He's doing this on purpose. Uh, He's doing this in order to bring them to a place of hopefully seeing him clearer and, and then a place of decision and, and, and again, hopefully a, a more belief in him. Um, uh, by the time we get to John chapter six, like, we need to remember Jesus is a rabbi rock star. Like he, he really is. I mean, just imagine he's walking around doing miracles, things that they've never seen before. And, and he's doing all these crazy miracles. He's saying things that they've sort of heard before, but he's saying them in a way that it's like, who. Is this guy? And so everywhere Jesus goes, it's not just like hundreds of people, it's uh, thousands of people are following him. So then we get to chapter six. We're not going to read all of chapter six, it's too long, but I'll, I'll summarize different parts. So the first 15s, 15 verses of chapter six is the story of the feeding of the 5,000, right? You might be familiar with that. 5,000 men uh, that were fed miraculously. So really, it's the feeding of, let's say, 15 to 20,000 people when you consider women uh, and children. All of that done with a little boy's lunch. You know, five little barley loaves and two little fish. So really, all of that done with a lunchable or a, you know, like a happy meal. And he not only feeds all those People, But then at the end, he says to his disciples, hey, you know, uh, we're into recycling. That's what he said. No, okay, no, no, okay, okay. But hey, <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that out. Hey, uh, let's not waste anything. Let's go clean up all the food. So the 12 disciples go out and they just happen to pick up how many, 12 baskets full of food. And that's a detail that might not mean much to us, but to those people, that's like, Uh, that wouldn't have been missed on them because they're like, wait a minute. Miraculous multiplication of bread. Hmm, sounds kind of like manna. Hmm, 12 baskets full. Hmm, there are 12 tribes of Israel. And so the people are like, they put two and two together and then they say this in verse 14. It says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And and again, Jesus knew that they knew, they're very familiar with the Old Testament teachings and prophecies. He knew that they knew that Moses said way back in Deuteronomy 18, Moses said these words. He said, hey, you guys, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And the people, you know, knowing that, seeing the, the miracle of the bread, the baskets, all that stuff, they declare this must be the guy. And, and they, and they you know, they want to make him king. Jesus responds this way in verse 15, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And this would have been so confusing to the people. Like, why? Why are you running away? Why did this? You know, why did he disappear? Like this makes no sense. Jesus, don't you get it? We want to make you king. Isn't that what you want, Jesus? You're, you know, uh, as we've been following you, you're always talking about your kingdom. Like, doesn't, don't, isn't this a good thing that we want to make you our king? The story continues. It's almost like a side story. Verse 16 to 24 is when the disciples get in the boat and go across the lake and there's a storm. And it's, it's like, John's like, oh yeah, and Jesus walked across the lake on the water. Like common, right? And, and so it's just a little side story. But then as it continues, the next morning, you got all these people over here on this side of the lake and they wake up. And, uh, and they're looking for Jesus and they can't find him. And they realize he's gone to the other side. So they order in a, a bunch of Uber boats and, uh, and they head on over. And then, and then this is where the story really starts heating up. <clears throat> Verse 25, when they found him, on the other, him, Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And you know, when I look at their question and then I look at Jesus at his answer, I'm like, Jesus, were you even listening <laughs> to them? Like, like uh, obviously, Jesus never read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Because uh, basically, what he's saying is, uh, you know, I. Uh, you're, you're, you aren't looking for me, you aren't looking for me because the sign that I performed has stirred you to wonder who I really am. You aren't looking uh, for me because the sign that I performed, which was meant to open your eyes to who I am, uh, that's not why you're looking for me. Basically, you are looking for me uh, because, uh, well, because you want breakfast, because you're, because you're hungry. We need to remember, as we, as we look at Jesus as the bread of life, like Jesus didn't come only to give us bread, meaning Jesus didn't come to only meet our needs. Uh, Jesus came, he came to give us himself. And he didn't come to only impact moments in this life, he came to impact this life and our forever lives. And so Jesus' response to them you guys, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe, to believe in the one he has sent. You know, so the people are hearing this and, and you know, uh, I think what's going through their minds is, again, they just want food. And, and so, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, like this eternal bread or, you know, this life-giving bread. And they're like, well, that kind of bread sounds great. Eternal bread, like wonder bread lasts a long time. And, but this is like eternal bread. And, and then they look at Jesus and they basically say, well, so what do we have to do? What do we have to do to get this? What from God, what, what works? How do we earn this eternal bread. And and Jesus, in what we just read, he basically says, well, you know what, you, you, you don't earn it and you can't earn it. All God requires from you uh, to get this eternal bread from us is to believe in the one he sent. That's it. That's, that's all it takes to get this eternal bread. And I don't know if this... Uh, registers with you, or, but, but this stirred a thought in my mind and it sounds weird to say, but one of the things I'm convinced we stumble over in, in entering into the things of God or re- receiving the things of God is the fact that what God offers us uh, can't be earned. Like we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. I, I, think, I think we struggle with that. And, and here's what I mean <clears throat> Years ago, uh, I met a, a friend for a late night coffee, uh, a buddy down at a Panera in Westerville. And it was, it was getting close to closing time. And the, one of the servers came over and said, hey, uh, we're gonna close soon. Uh, no rush, but we are gonna close soon. But know that we have, we've got a, a bunch of baked goods left over and uh, we're just gonna throw them away. So come on by if you want any. And I look at my buddy like, hey, you know, we just won the lottery. <laughs> but, um, and so we finish our time and my friend leaves, but I stop at the counter. And <clears throat> you know I stood there for a while and I'm just kind of looking at everything. And I said, well, uh, so could I have a couple of those cookies? And the lady's like, well, sure. Puts them in a bag and gives them to me. And I stood there and I said, well, I really like cherry danishes, uh, for the record. Um, uh, could I have a couple of those cherry danishes? Sure. And she puts them in a bag. And then, you know, and I stood there looking at all the stuff. And then the third time I said, well, you know, could I have, and she interrupted me and she literally said, sir, you can have whatever you want. It's all free. And I thought, why was that, like, why was that an almost uncomfortable, strange thing? And, and I'm sure I have a lot of, <laughs> you could probably diagnose a bunch of things, but, but I think a big part of it was uh, it's hard to just get something for free because I am convinced we, are, we, are, we live in a culture that's saturated with earning, right? I, I do this, now you do that, right? It's, it's, it's just, it's like, you know, I work hard and I do, you know, like I work, you pay. And, and so I think there's very much, it's our culture. You got to earn it if you want it, right? If you want to get it, you got to earn it. And I also think there's a level of pride Good old pride mixed in with that culture of earning, where you know, look what I have accomplished. Look what I have, you know, the sweat of my brow and my bony fingers. <laughs> you know, like look what look what I look what I have built. And unfortunately, and I see this in my own life. I see that in most people's lives. Unfortunately, that mindset can flow into our relationship with Jesus. And so you can literally read, "You are saved by grace." and spend most of your waking hours feeling guilty that you aren't good enough, right? And, and that is so not accurate. Isaiah 55.1 says, this is a, a sort of a strange verse, but it sums up the heart of God. It says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. That's a weird verse, isn't it? Like, cause, cause like that is, if that's true, that is such good news because that's saying that the currency of the kingdom of God is not money. If you don't have money, if you don't have any money or if you don't think you have enough money, it does not disqualify you from the things of God. Now that means that, you know, the currency of the kingdom of God is not performance. Like for some of us, that would be a life changer if that really took hold in your life to know that, uh, yet you never will be good enough, but that doesn't matter, right? It's not perfection. It isn't, you know, it's, it, the kingdom of God is, well, you need to understand it all. Like you need to under, you know, up here, you gotta figure it all out. No, thankfully, that is not the, the currency of God or living a sinless life or whatever you would say. The currency of the kingdom of God is belief. It's belief. It's belief in the one that he has sent. And remember, 98 times John Use this word believe in his book. And it's a Greek word, "pisteu." And we need to remember that biblical belief is way more than just a mental ascension. Like, well, that sounds like a good idea, right? Biblical belief is, no, you take that to heart. And, and so, so now you live your life. Every part of your life is, is impacted by what, who you believe in, believing that it really is true. That's biblical belief. And so back at the story, it's clear that people don't, didn't believe in Jesus. It's also clear that they were way more concerned about their appetites than anything else because he says, you know, the the work that God requires is believe and they're like, okay, okay, we got to believe to get it. Well, why don't you do a sign, do something cool and then we'll believe in you. Like Moses gave our ancestors bread from heaven. If you really are something special, come on, Feed us, give us some food. And and Jesus uh, responds by clarifying, hey, you know, actually it wasn't Moses. It wasn't Moses who who gave you uh, the bread. It was my father. In fact, my father is doing it again right now. My father is offering you bread again right now, but this time it's not just bread for your tummies. This time it's the true bread from heaven which gives you life. And again, the people are so obsessed with their, their, their appetites and then basically they respond with, okay, okay, okay. Well, then give us that bread. It's so clear in the story, they didn't want Jesus. They only wanted what he could do for them. And so this is where the wheels really start falling off. They're like, okay, give us that bread. In verse 35, Jesus, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. And in using the words, I am the bread of life, uh, uh, that's Greek, it's ego, imai. Like Jesus took this conversation to a whole new level because we hear I am the bread of life and most of us are like, it, it doesn't register with us, but to them, in him using the name I am, he just used the, really the divine name of God, Yahweh. I am that I am. And there, and all their minds would have raced back to Moses, you know, on his face before a burning bush. And when Moses says, Well, when I go to Egypt, who do I say has sent me? What does God respond? I am has sent you. I am, you know, the eternal one, the I am present tense. I am the self-sustaining one. And now here is Jesus using that name, basically saying, calling himself God. And at this point, the people start to grumble, like, like, who, who is this young rabbi whippersnapper? Like, who does he think he is? And they start, you know, uh, uh, getting very upset, and they're grumbling, like, like, how dare you call yourself God? Are you kidding me? And they basically say, we know you, like, we know your parents. We had a sleepover in your backyard. It doesn't say that, but I mean, they're basically saying, we know you. Uh, how can you say you're God? we have knowledge, we have understanding, we have expectations. And based on all those, you are not what God looks like. You are not from where God would come from. Uh, you do not act how we believe God would act. And, and you know, again, Jesus, Jesus, not being, not acting, not act, looking like they expected, uh, uh, they the consequences, they are totally blinded by that. They're totally blinded to the one who's standing in front of them. And so they uh, not only are blinded, but now they take offense at him and at that intersection of decision, they start, they start moving, start pulling away. And I, you know, uh, I think we have the exact same struggle as the people in the story. And what I mean is God's ways, God's timing, God's silence, uh, uh, the people he chooses to use, in our opinion, the people he doesn't choose to use, the way he chooses to work, all these things of God, like how many times you look at it and go, that does not make any sense to me. Like it makes no sense to me. And because it makes no sense to me, it's so easily for us to miss him then in the situation and even to take offense and to even start pulling away. Like, like I've read the Bible verse. I know I do A, you do B, and then we get C. It's right there, right? But it doesn't always go that way. And I don't know if I've ever said these words to God out loud. Hey, if you do blank for me, then I'll do blank for you, right? That's basically conditional, uh, conditional obedience, conditional faith, conditional, uh, conditional belief. And it, even when I say it, it sounds really wrong. So I don't know if I've ever said that to God, but I know I've acted that out internally. And I know I have pulled away or pulled myself out of the game or however, however, however you would finish that. But this, but the story shows and our lives at times show that we can miss out, you know, again, the bread of life on the incredible feast that God is offering us because we are so consumed and blinded by what we want. Jesus goes on to say to them, Hey, you guys, you guys, you are missing it right now. I'm not just here to fill your stomachs. I'm here to save your lives. Uh, I, I, like, I'm not just here to sustain you for a meal, for a moment, for a day. I, the bread of life, I want to sustain you for this life and, and for the forever life. Two times in, in this story, in verse 49 and 58, Jesus says this, basically says this, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. And basically he's saying, you guys, you're so wrapped up in Moses and manna, but they all died. That, you know, that, was, that was not eternal bread. Uh, they all died. And, and now you're, you know, you're all caught up in Moses, but now one much greater than Moses is standing before you. The I am, the self-sustaining one is here and he is offering to sustain you uh, for this life and for the next. I'm not just offering you a meal, I'm offering you myself. And if the people weren't already moving away from Jesus, I guarantee the exits filled very quickly when he said his next words in verse 53. He said, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And I try to imagine being one of the disciples standing behind Jesus, and my head would have gone down, and I would have thought, Oh, my word. This guy is a marketing nightmare, right? Like we were doing so well, our numbers were great. And then you go and say, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like, well, that's a good one, Jesus, because now everyone is leaving, right? And, and it's important to know that Jesus is not encouraging cannibalism, so don't write that in your notes. But, but we have the advantage over the people in the story, we have the advantage of looking back on the story, meaning we celebrate communion, Right? And in communion, uh, we, we eat bread or a cracker in this case that represents his body, have a little bit of juice that represents his blood. And we do that to remember the great sacrifice, the great victory of Jesus on the cross. But in these strange words, there's, Jesus is saying more. He's inviting us into, uh, uh, really into a new way of living, this side of heaven, uh, a new level of belief, if you will. Remember I said believing is now it's it's, it's living our lives. Every aspect of our, of our lives impacted by what or who we believe in, believing that it really is true. And one of the ways that we grow in our belief and our relationship with Jesus is, uh, is learning. Emphasis on learning. Learning to depend on him, the bread of life, the same way we depend on food. Like, like uh, would you notice if you went a day without food? Yes, I'm assuming, <laughs> Would you notice if you went a day without a thought or connection with Jesus? Hmm, maybe, maybe not as much. Well, see, the plan of God is in this life as we walk with him is to open our eyes more and more that we would see more and more of Jesus, of who he really is. And so that we would literally in this life get to a place that, that where, where, where a missed meal would mean less to us than a missed moment with Jesus. And I look at this 40 days of prayer and fasting, and wow, what a great opportunity to, to put that into practice. Like I would encourage you to consider fasting something, maybe, maybe a meal a week. Set aside some time, uh, make some space in in to, to not you know eat that to learn more how to feast on on Jesus, on the bread of life. So let me end with this with a band that wants to come on up. Uh, remember that this is all a lifelong process. You know, at the end of the story is all these people are walking away from Jesus. He, he, now he turns and looks at his 12 disciples and he basically goes, so are you guys gonna leave too? And they respond this way, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. God knows that this is a lifelong process for us. That it, it takes a lifetime to come to that place of believing, to come to that place of knowing. These guys had been three years every day with Jesus. And it was even a process for them to see Jesus clearer. Well, how much more, how much more for us? Well...